Well, hey there, sweet peas. Welcome back to Friendless. I'm your pal, James Avramenko, back from holidays and ready to get this show raring again. This week, I have an incredible guest with me. They are a poet. They are a conflict resolver. They are a UN shit disturber. And you will be hearing that story in the episode. The one, the only, Jazz Papadopoulos. I had only met Jazz once at a art salon that we both did. And I was just absolutely blown away by their presence and just what <laughs> the way they show up in the world just staggers me. Um, so it was such an honor to um, interview them, get to know them a little bit better. And I think you are going to absolutely love this interview. I feel compelled to give a little bit of a check in or a little bit of like, a, hey, how's your father? Before we dive into the episode, been away for a couple of weeks and uh spent that time doing my best to recharge doing my best to to get back in a more clear headspace didn't really stick the landing but i'm still really excited to be getting going with the show again now that i'm watching the music run down i think i'm just gonna save this for the next little guy episode so instead lean back get comfy set your volume at a reasonable level and enjoy my interview with jazz papadopoulos here on friendless Ooh, i'm rusty so this week on friendless i have um, someone who I do consider a friend, but who I have only ever actually seen in person once in my life. Um, um, they have an, an uh, they have a very a very strange and very impactful moment in my life. Um, uh, they are a, a writer, an educator. They are a conflict resolver, and they escaped Vancouver, uh, which holds my my deep deep respect. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> the one and only Jazz Papadopoulos. How are you today? <laughs> um, I'm pretty good today. I've been <laughs> having back-to-back strep throat infections. Oh, shit. But I'm like on day seven of antibiotics now, and I'm feeling a lot better. <laughs> yeah. Do you find, you know, so I, I, it's funny, I used to be like, I used to get strep throat like way too often. Like it would be like every other month for like three years straight. And then I never got it again. Um, but, but like, do you find yourself like really susceptible to it? Does it come around a lot for you or is it just, is yeah, this very I unique think, that it's. I think this is my first time <laughs> or my first Holy three shit. times back right. to back. <laughs> yeah. You're playing yeah. catch up, I guess you're, you're making up for lost yeah. time the rest of your life. Right. Yeah, well, and I think my partner also had it, so then maybe we were just, like, giving it back and forth to each other. Like, they don't have health care, so they couldn't get meds. Right. So it's the whole thing. Oh, no. <laughs> and it kind of was made strong with your antibiotics kind of thing, right? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> made a little super bug out of it. Um, um, so I want to start I, – I have so many different questions I want to I wanna, uh, get to with you, and I feel like we have to be cautious because I think that our conversation could go – in so many directions and just kind of spin away. So I want to try my best to stay as focused as we can. But way I want to start is uh, with uh, just a very blunt question for for listeners who may not be may not be familiar with you, may not know who you are. Um, who the hell are you? Ooh, what a question! So existential. <laughs> <laughs> right? um, you know, let me just think of all my bios in my head. I am a queer and non-binary person. I am 32. <laughs> um, I'm from Treaty One Territory, uh, the city of Winnipeg. 
And yeah, I just spent the last five years living in Vancouver and struggling with a lot of things and have recently escaped to the interior, which I refer to as the Alberta of BC. Big time. <laughs> and yeah, I'm a writer, mostly, I guess, a poet and a script writer. I teach creative writing. Um, I have a book coming out next year. Amazing. Yeah. Um, I'm gay about town. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you escaped into, uh, is it Vernon you went to? Or yeah. Where, where, yeah. So what yeah. what was it about, like, I mean, we can unpack Vancouver. I think that <laughs> deserves its own space. But But what pulled you to Vernon, of all places, in the interior? Yeah, so I had been planning to leave Vancouver and was kind of just waiting to figure out where to go. And it turns out that there's not actually a way to figure that out super easily. I guess. Um, <laughs> for real. But so last year I lost my housing for like the sixth time in five years, you know, and I just said, screw it. I packed everything into storage and just went on a winter of artist residencies and mm. house trips. Mm-hmm. And Vernon, and actually the building that I'm in right now, is one of the places I came to an arts residency. Gotcha. And it happens to be where my partner's high school best friend and her family live. Amazing. So we just got drunk on wine last night, or one night, and I decided to move us here. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. You know, sometimes that's how it's got to happen, though, right? Like, I, you know, Vancouver has this funny pull to it where... Um, you know, I grew up in Calgary and so it was always seen as like the promised land, you know, you'd get over the mountains and it would be just gold and honey. Right. And, and then you get here and it's like, okay, it's, it's okay. You know? Um, but then you're kind of like trapped, you know? And I, I remember, um, when I, when I lived here, you know, 12 years ago, I couldn't wait to get out and I never thought I'd come back because I was like, I finally escaped. And, and the thought Mm -hmm. of, that sort of barrier of the Rockies was like, yeah, I'll never come back. It'll be fine, you know, and and now I'm back again. And it it's very encasing, you know, um, it feels like um, that's why I say, like, I, I, I hold such a respect for anybody who es- escapes because it's like it's like you made a prison break, you know. <laughs> totally. Well, and it's like it's expensive to travel out of Vancouver mm-hmm. and it's expensive to live in Vancouver. So it's hard to have money move out like we had to hire movers to move our stuff over the mountains that's so expensive <laughs> um but yeah i say that i'll move back if we get into co-op housing but otherwise it's just not an option yeah and do you find yourself like um i know this is such like a canadiana question but it's like do you find yourself um you know there's so much of the pull about like the 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 weather of Vancouver or especially I guess Victoria because it's much sunnier right but like do you find yourself being able to cope with the with the cold you know when I left Saskatoon right it was like I I was driving out in minus 40 weather and so I was like if I never see another snowflake I will survive you know (laughs) yeah honestly it's embarrassing to admit this as sincerely as I will but the 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 main thing I try to figure out about where I want to live is weather like, mm. I grew up in Winnipeg, 
sometimes right. in Winnipeg, it's colder than it is on Mars. <laughs> like yeah. it is so cold. So yeah. yeah, weather was a huge reason to go to Vancouver and also a huge reason to leave. I hate the rain. Right. And Vernon yes. is kind of in the middle. It is, well, now I'm like, Vernon is too hot. It's so hot that I didn't go outside all summer. Yeah. But it, it'll be like minus five and I can ski all winter really comfortably. So. Totally, <laughs> totally. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, the interior is a really magic place. The whole, the, the province is so bizarre for how many different, like, lifestyles it can accommodate, you know, and, and, yeah. and yeah. these little pockets, right? But, um. So the main, you know, obviously, I, I, I want to. I, again, I'm like, I'm trying to figure out where to where to take the take the conversation because there's so many things I want to hit. Um, I think I want to I, I want to jump into like, so we met through the the sort of metamorphosis, I guess, uh, like salons or whatever you want to call them, yeah. right? Uh, <laughs> of, of the of the the kind of creative expression um, that a mutual friend of ours hosted, and. Um, I found myself really fascinated by your writing and I, I think I want to use that as sort of a baseline of like starting with like what what drew you into creative writing like what was it about that sort of expression that 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 spoke to you and helped you you know speak to the world yeah um this is a great question for me because it encompasses basically my whole life journey <laughs> hell yeah okay we are on a um, podcast just go yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so my undergrad is in conflict resolution, and I mm -hmm. focused on artistic interventions in conflict. And that took me to go to clown school, which okay. is actually the first reason I moved to Vancouver like nine years ago. Now. Okay. Went to clown school, moved back to Winnipeg, finished my degree. And at the later parts of my degree, I spent a lot of time taking like critical theory classes, which kind of straddle like in the English department and like conflict resolution or like the human rights piece department. And I had this learning experience, I think specifically while reading Gloria and Balzua, who writes in like multiple languages and does a lot of power dynamic fuckery in her writing. I was like, oh, like experimental writing is the clowning of literature. <laughs> mm. Interesting. And I'm a, I love being an intellectual and I also love an embodied practice. Mm -hmm. So I started doing some creative, like experimental poetry writing and then Winnipeg being the place that it is, it has so many supports for artists and somebody just let me into an arts residency and then I just like spent a lot of time writing yeah okay and I don't even know like I forever I know I was really bad at it it's so funny now <laughs> to think about and how I like it like I preferred to write things that I knew no one would ever understand and that felt like really transgressive to me <laughs> <laughs> sure yeah it's very uh um, was it is it is it gloria no uh who was it uh gertrude stein gertrude stein who would uh, who would write just the most like in incomprehensible stuff and 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 uh 
everyone hated it, but was like, I think she's a genius, but it's awful. You know, you know, this makes a lot of sense to me. I've never read Gertrude Stein, but when I taught, when I started teaching the class I'm teaching right now, I felt obligated to include yes. some Gertrude Stein. And I just, I just assumed I would figure out what it meant. And yeah. I never did. I failed. Yeah. <laughs> so on the day... <laughs> On the day that we were supposed to discuss Gertrude Stein, I fully went into class and I was like, hey, everyone, would any of you be annoyed if we just didn't talk about the reading? <laughs> and they were all like, no, that's cool. And I was like, great, we're ignoring it. Yeah, thank God. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I, I might be mixing mixing it up with somebody else, but I want to say it was her because she was the, am I, am I remembering it right that she was like the, the sort of editor for all the like the Lost Generation people like in, in like 1920s France, she was like, she edited all the like, you know, Hemingway and Fitzgerald and all these guys, right? Then, um, and she would always be writing and, and yeah, she had this experimental prose, but like no one understood. I don't even think she understood it. I think she was just fucking around because she could, you know? And like, mm. I'm just like, amen, go for it. But also I do not have time to read this, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I don't know anything about that. I fair, fair. Okay. Succeeded. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, that's like the, that's the, the, the autism and the ADHD in me being like, I could not tell you what I did this morning. But somehow I I have yeah. these factoids in my brain from somewhere. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And then eventually I decided to take an MFA program because I wanted to understand writing and television better. Mm. And it was that's that's the second reason I moved to Vancouver. Or the reason mm-hmm. I moved to Vancouver the second time. And uh, yeah, then I guess I'm a writer now. <laughs> <laughs> It's just so much happenstance. Yeah. It's just so much happenstance. Like I wrote a book and nobody wanted to publish any of my poems, but then somebody fancy decided that they want to publish the book. Like it just got to the right person at the right time. Yeah. I tell everyone that I'm a writer and to give me a job and eventually a YouTube channel gave me a job and now I write a YouTube channel. <laughs> hell yeah hell yeah Yeah. i mean that's how it's done right like sometimes it's the you know it's not because it's not faking it till you make it it's just making it until it's made you know it's like it's it's like (laughs) right like it's it's there's no like there is no cheat to it you just keep doing it and you hope that somebody will notice eventually right (laughs) yeah and i'm a really big uh advocate for just telling people what you want yeah like whenever I want something in my life I just tell people all the time and wait until it appears <laughs> that works for me I have a Jupiter in Leo so that's what that says ah uh, yes I love yeah. it I love it I uh I've been trying to figure out you know I, I love I adore people who can just like casually understand what any of that means. You know, I, 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 I have a basic understanding of my astrology, but like when people are like, oh yeah, Capricorn this or Pisces that, it just, um, what does this mean when you have a Leo in your Jupiter? What does that mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm so, so curious. Yeah. As a writer, I see astrology just as an exercise in, archetypes totally and leo is the archetype of like a social butterfly 
Okay. And I mean, there's other things in that, but for this purpose, social butterfly. And Jupiter is the location of your ease and optimism and expansion, just like the things that come easy to you, you know? I feel like everybody just has a realm in their life where things are just easy. So I do easiness in the style. It's like karaoke songs in the style of a social butterfly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What I want. And then I get it. (laughs) Oh, I love it. I'm very, you know, it's funny. I, I I love that. I feel like a a bit of like a jealousy of that, of like the comfort to ask for what you want. Right. But, but even, even as I sort of think about it, I'm like, it's not even that, like, the asking, like, it, it's the getting to the asking part. That's the hardest part for me, mm-hmm. you know? Once you ask, then you can just be like, oh, yeah, people say no, people say yes, whatever it is. But it's, like, yeah. working up the guts to ask. That's the part that's, like, oh, fuck, mm-hmm. you know? You want to practice? <laughs> um, is there anything that is on your mind that you need these days? <laughs> oh, my God, fuck. There's too many things. <laughs> um jesus christ i'm i'm like i'm like processing through i'm I'm processing through a you know not to go into like crazy gory details but like i'm processing through a really bad breakup and so like i you know what would i want to ask for like oh just to be like loved and understood and heard and validated and not left alone and uh you know not abandoned right <laughs> oh yeah you know, fair you enough know. right yeah yeah yeah, real real concrete and easy questions to answer and to give, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it would be easier if we were in the same place. There's very little I can do. Literally, I know, I know. Well, you know, so this comes, this actually brings, this really brings me into, I mean, I really desperately want to go back to the idea of cl- experimental writing as clowning because I think that that concept mm-hmm. is so fucking incredible. And I, it, it made my brain like kind of like space brain a little bit, like, cause it was just mm. such a revelation of a concept. I think I have to put it to the side for a moment though, because I might end up just babbling about it too long. Um, but you know what you were talking about, like asking and receiving and, and also just like that demonstration, even that you just gave right there of just like, uh, an empathy and a warmth and a connection. Right. Um, um, it, it loops into the, one of the first core questions, but before we get directly to that question, um, I really wanted to r- ask a bit more about the, the sort of conflict re- resolution that, that you have experienced in and, and what, what led you into that and what do you find yourself um, sort of ap- applying it to these days? Because obviously it's a very, very helpful skill in today's uh, culture. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So I went into that field when I was 19 years old. Oh, shit. Um, yeah. Like, you know, it's just my undergrad. People get yeah. random undergrads and all kinds of things. Yeah. yeah applied and theater I did that. for me. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm just a person who was always really concerned with questions around human rights and social justice and Winnipeg has a really large Mennonite community mm-hmm. um I was married to one which like oh, okay yeah 
and I'll just share, share for the context of your listeners, like a, a lot, I'm not Mennonite, I can't give the best definitions, but one aspect of Mennonite history is like abstaining from fighting in war, mm-hmm. like a, mm-hmm. you know, pacifism. Mm-hmm. So there's a Mennonite, there are a few Mennonite universities in Winnipeg, and I went to one that taught conservation and international development. Wow. I dropped out of international development in the first year because immediately I was like, this is neocolonialism and it's bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I finished my degree in conflict res and I think I wanted to like work in large scale human rights. Like I think I fantasized about working at the UN. Sure. Then I did for a couple of years and it was real bad. Wait, like you worked at the UN? Yeah, this is the coolest. This is the story from my life that makes me sound the coolest I could possibly sound. <laughs> um, I was working for a nonprofit called The Voice of Women for Peace, and I wrote this curriculum, and it was I, I was invited to present it at the UN on, at the Commission on the Status of Women. And so I went and I presented it and had my whole week, two week long conference in Manhattan experience. And it was like so fun. And I was like, oh my God, I see all the ways to make this place better. It's a conference on women and there are no trans women here. I should tell them. It didn't matter. You know, they didn't change anything. Of course. The next year I was invited to come back, but only because... They had initially wanted um, some women from the Congo to go and present on this curriculum. And then those folks' visas were denied by the state. Oh, shit. Okay. So as the second option, they asked me to come back. I went. But then when it was my turn to speak, I just used my 10 minutes to, like, criticize the U.S. Embassy for denying their visas and criticize the Canadian Embassy for funding an arms trade in the Congo. And then I got kicked off stage. Hell (laughs) yeah. never went back. (laughs) That's amazing. I mean, holy shit, Jazz. Like, you, that is, that is one of the bingo you know bingo cards that like no one else has that i know of that like <laughs> i got kicked out of the un like come on like that's yeah. incredible um so, yes <laughs> cool. and so did that take you like uh, so did uh, did you use that momentum that kind of the, the fiery passion like where where did you where did you take take that next yeah i mean this is all like such a quick story and me moving away from social services sure you know like then i worked for six months for like a social service agency it was super shitty abusive work environment yeah and then i became a right a clown writer yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) it's it's so has that been your experience in in a lot of these fields of like I, I really, I, I try so hard not to get cynical about it, you know, and I try not to get beaten up by the sort of the, the bureaucracy of them, of the systems. Mm-hmm. But it's like, 
so often not-for-profits end up becoming like these cesspools of like good intentions and poor executions, you know? Oh, and yeah. and it's so demoralizing of like, if they can't even get it right, who the fuck can, right? I mean, the capitalists and the billionaires can because they have time and money. <laughs> yeah. Fuck the though, right? Yeah, <laughs> That's so disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I will always say that in my life experience, sex workers are the best activists I know mm-hmm. because they have this like analysis on the world that's in- influenced by their life experience being like a criminalized population, right? Mm-hmm. But also, and not everyone, but some escorts like have way more money way more free time and you know care about people yeah (laughs) yeah man you know and that's that's yeah god that's such a big you know i i i have no experience i'll just like just to be up like open and upfront is that i i have no experience with with sex work or really like other than friends who've been sex workers like i i i have such a curiosity about the experience but also the like the way you're you're framing it is so fascinating to me it's something i often think about about like i often see like sex workers um predominantly like i always think of like porn stars as sort of like the last punk rockers in a way because like (laughs) they're like it's like the last taboo subject you know who are and yet they're still famous right like Mm -hmm. everyone knows these people and yet it's Mm -hmm. still like hush hush you know and so there's this really interesting dichotomy that comes out of that right and but that framing you know of of being the best uh you know advocates i think is even is an even stronger position you know um um in in your experience like was it what am i trying to say like the, the the idea of like sort of empathy through through sex work you know like could you speak a little more to that about about like whether it's personal experience or just like you know cultural experience through that oh that makes my mind spin a lot and i'll mm. say like i have a personal struggle with empathy <laughs> mm, sure i think because when i was younger i was like very close to a lot of really intense conflict or like I worked on a sexual assault survivor line when I was like 20 years old like right I've sealed myself a lot um but I'm taking a self-compassion course right now it's going pretty well for me beautiful um but yeah the relationship to empathy within sex work is extremely interesting and I don't know if I can label it in a single way but like let's just throw some disparate thoughts out there Mm -hmm. there is there so there's a huge overlap with like sex workers who are also therapists that's just like a huge part of that industry um and inevitably having intimacy and proximity with people like intimacy sexual intimacy but also just like sitting together and naked leads to a vulnerability mm-hmm. um, for a lot of people sex workers are like they shouldn't be seen as therapists but 
for many people, they are who you would go and like talk to mm-hmm. and have discussion and privacy. And then like within the sex work community, because sex workers are a criminalized population, there is a huge amount of like having each other's back. There's so much like yeah. mentorship and care and community systems for supporting each other. Mm-hmm. And then there's also like a hilarious culture around like misandry and hating sure. clients. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah, fuck yeah, yeah. Does it feel sort of like uh, cathartic in a way? Is there like a little bit of that or? <laughs> It's just ridiculous. I don't know. Clients can be ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) There's this book. I I have it on my bookshelf back there. It's called Hustling Verse. And it's a book of poetry and other writing put together by Amber Dawn and Justin Ducharme. Oh, I want to fact check that name. And there's a poem in that book that's like a found poem exclusively made from client emails. Oh, shit. And it's like, hi, hi, hello. I am white. I am white, man. Hello. I want to meet you now. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck yeah. Oh my god! I already wrote it down. I'm gonna. I'm. I want to check the whole book out. That sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah. You know, all this really leads to you know, um, you know, at the core of this show is this exploration of you know friendship and community and intimacy. Um, you know, and you're 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 touching on a lot of subjects that I'm infinitely fascinated by and trying really hard to figure out ways to to communicate and 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 um kind of uh amplify right is you know ideas of 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 platonic platonic intimacy right because you know especially when you're talking about like cis you know straight men especially like they're not touched unless it's like to have sex or to fight someone you know and Mm -hmm. and it's like there's so many other touch needs that the body has you know and um you know, at the at the core of so much of this is this idea of, of friendship and intimacy within friendships. And you know, as I've said on the show many, many times, you know, I, I, I depending on the day of the week, I think I'm a good friend or I'm the worst friend who's ever existed, or you know, it can go anywhere in between, right? And it always comes down to that root of like, what even does the word like that mean? You know, and and so I'm really curious for you, like, what what does it mean to be a friend? a great question and again one that feels hard to pin down Mm -hmm. and one that looks really different now that I've moved to this I mean I I live in a city but I feel like I've moved rurally totally I don't live in the same city as most of my friends and Mm -hmm. I'm very intentionally trying to make new friends and Mm -hmm. like to find other queer people in this place um so one way that friendship like appears in my life now is 
just noticing who I feel comfortable like texting out of nowhere or even god forbid phoning (laughs) (laughs) or like phoning without texting first yeah Ooh, that's risky yeah yeah (laughs) yeah I recently this is funny my my partner and I recently started dating a 52 year old man so he phones me all the damn time (laughs) of course he does yeah of course he does so I've started phoning people more too Yeah, yeah um but like in the context of Vernon, okay, so a month and a half ago was that like one million homophobes march? Yeah. <laughs> and I expected that there would be a lot of homophobes at that march and way more homophobes than queer people. Um, and that expectation was exceeded. There were like thousands of them and like 30 of us. Jesus. It was yeah and i'm like i'm a pretty like confident argumentative person (laughs) um and i don't experience a lot of social fear like Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. um but i was like crossing an intersection and just looking around and i was like oh my god someone's gonna like drive their car into me like so scary Mm -hmm. so now i want to walk through this town and like know by face and name like who my friends are who my Mm -hmm. safe community members are and it also means that I have less of the option of seeking out friendships with people who agree with me about everything sure yeah like and yeah, do you find that encouraging? Like, do you do you do you uh, do you enjoy that, or is that intimidating for you? Yeah, I'm enjoying it, and I think yeah. that I couldn't have done it earlier in my life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, I definitely am someone who has lived within like the social justice warrior archetype. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously I still care about those things, but I feel less militant in my daily interactions about it. And I think I feel less threatened by other people's politics on a personal level than I used to. Um, But part of moving here has been like this fun experience of meeting people who are really different than me. Yeah. And like when living in Vancouver, I lived my whole life only knowing queer people. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah and here yeah it's like i'm talking to people at the farmer's market who are just people i would have never spoken to before sure. yeah and it's it, i feel a little romantic about it i'm like ooh, i love company right now <laughs> yeah yeah and it's also yeah it's like exciting and weird and when I think about the reality of like the apocalypse, (laughs) it involves like actively working with people, just the people who are around you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You don't get to choose as Mm -hmm. much as we do. Yeah. Well, and that, that's, you know, I, I'm in complete agreement. I, I, it's something that I, you know, 
I have a very similar trajectory in that, like, I used to be a lot more vitriolic or a lot more combative, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 I've really softened in that stance over the years because I've realized, like you just said, you know, it's not, it, it, it can't, I don't think these problems can be solved by us versus them. I think it has to be a, a collective we, you know, and, and there has to be, like, I've, you know, for, for a couple of years now, I've been pretty vocal about, like, it's not sexy and it's not appealing, but I'm pretty sure the only way sus- like genuine societal impact really lasts is through incrementalism, you know, and like as as like frustrating as that is. And as much as I like wish it wasn't that way, it kind of feels like it's like how it goes, you know, is it, it's not about concessions, but it's about, you know, meeting how many people can we get just to the next thing rather than like you know if we want to be way down at you know z and we're only at b like how do we get everyone to c first and then d and then all the way down you know and the problem is that that takes patience and that takes generations you know and we're at a stage now where it feels like we don't have that time you know so there's a lot of panic and there's a lot of like frenetic energy coming out of it you know and and um and but I think that that's tripping us up. I think that like collectively, culturally, I think that that's. I think if we all took a bit of a breath and like slowed down a little bit, that might actually end up slowing everything down, which would be for the benefit of everyone. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. An opinion I hold is that uh, a lot of the violences we see in the world are essentially trauma responses. Yeah, yeah. Um. And, you know, we know from neuroscience that when your brain is, or when your nervous system is activated and you feel unsafe, you lose access to the parts of your brain that handle nuance and gray area and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I very much have come to like a kinship approach Mm. to activism and politics where I will do that work like within friendships or within relationships that feel safe. I'm going to say that's different than like interrupting moments of injustice. Of course. You know? Yeah. Of um, course. But in terms of like, you know, where I used to like ar- try to argue with people until they agreed with me. Yes. Now I'm like, oh, that kind of work happens like within tenderness and friendship. What's the background behind your wrestling poems? <laughs> yeah um so so it's like there's a few different thoughts going on within it um um the sort of like backstory of it is that like i was married and i was married to a woman and when i met them i had like because of experiences i had had in sort of the le- years leading up to meeting her, I had essentially kind of, for lack of a word, I'd sort of recloseted myself. I just wasn't living in the queer space. And I, I wasn't, I didn't feel safe in the queer space. And so I was just like, I guess I'm just a straight guy now. I don't know. You like, you know. Um, and in, in, in the way that relationship had been structured, it was a monogamous heterosexual relationship and um and then we got divorced and um i was given the space to like explore again you know and 
What was funny is that I had already been writing those poems. A lot of those were actually written during like the last year of my marriage. Um, and they and I it's only in reflection that I was like, yeah, this was me like trying to let a part of me out that like wasn't breathing, you know, and and needed air. And um, I have a deep lifelong love of pro wrestling and um I just I got really fixated on on the image of like these archetypes of like hyper toxic masculinity, but framing them in just the most tender, vulnerable positions possible, you know, and just seeing seeing these big mountain men just be really tender, you know, that was sort of the whole ethos behind it, right? Um, um, so it was like, it was a bit cathartic for me just to be able to just talk about my queerness, but it was also like, again, it, it, I think it's why your statement about like clowning in writing, like really resonates with me because that's really, I think what that book is about is just like kind of being a bit absurd and being a little bit like, yeah, Brock Lesnar, this man who's like seven feet tall and 400 pounds of pure muscle who could like if he wanted to do something to me, there's nothing I could do about it, you know? And so, <laughs> and, right, you know, right? You know, which I'm like, yeah. Rock, call me, you know? But, um, but, there, but, there's, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but at the same time too, it's like, instead of making him do that, making him like just cry at the table about, you know, little insecurities or whatever, right? Like, um, and that links into what you were saying too about the idea of like history. You know, I had a friend recently describe like history is just, um, you know, dysregulated men making bad decisions, you know, and, and, mm -hmm. you know, there's like so much undiagnosed, like you said, trauma, uh, disorders, you know, mental health. Um, and so it's like, I have such a fascination with the pro wrestling culture in general because there's such an intersection of, you know, um, the performative nature of sort of theater kids and so there's so much queerness underlying there and then but then there's this hyper masculinity and there's this um body dysmorphia around the muscle you know muscle building and steroids and um you know so there's just such an intersection of so many different things there's a lot of like born again christians in that culture which i oh, find really? fascinating because uh my, my pet theory is that it's just like it's their way of like circumvent kind of circumnavigating god and being like it's not gay. It's my job to touch naked men, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, my God. You know, yeah. um, Board Again Christians love nothing more than to find workarounds. So, like, uh, yeah. yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, um, I agree. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just a lot of, it's a mishmash of a bunch of different thoughts. But I think it's, yeah, it, it was me, you know, trying to let my queerness out and then also just paint some funny little you know it, it was that idea like you probably read in some of the poems of like it's the idea of trying to get absurdity and comedy and then also some like vulnerability and poignancy at the same time you know so and i don't know maybe i stuck the landing who knows i don't know <laughs> i mean i those poems are why i, I i'm gonna sound like such an asshole those poems are why i was like interested in knowing you yeah because I, I mean, I'm a person who, like, will ignore people who I perceive as men until they've, like, done something to <laughs> <laughs> totally my interest. Yes. Oh, and that's so valid. And that's so fair. You know? Like, that's so valid. I, I, I'm, always, I, I'm constantly baffled by just anyone who's interested in men. 
I'm always just like, but why? You know? <laughs> you know? Like, like, even myself, I look at myself in the mirror. I'm like, but why? Men are the worst. You know? Like, look at you. You know? <laughs> which then, of course, turns into, like, self-loathing, which is never helpful for anyone. But, you know. Yeah. Um, no, it's all um, it's rough. <laughs> right? But, uh, but no, I really, I, I genuinely appreciate that. And I really feel like um, that's, that's, not only is that a, a valid stance, but also that is really validating for me of like, of like, I did something that interested someone else, you know, like that's, that's awesome, yeah. you know, so. <laughs> well, and I think I see in your writing, like maybe the, the similarity that you see in mine, which mm-hmm. is an ability to bring together like surprising things. Mm-hmm. and to find their shared moments or like the tenderness that comes from that discord mm-hmm. and that's surprising and it's interesting and i think that when things are surprising and interesting we're like we become curious and our mm-hmm. ears perk up and our hearts open a little and it's mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Juicy. yeah well it's the whole and it's also you know like my theory on like artists is that like Artists hang out with, like, you know, actors hang out with other actors. Writers hang out with other writers. And I think that that ends up becoming very limiting for them. I think if, if you're an artist, you should, like, if you're a writer, you should hang out with painters instead. Or you should hang out with, like, dancers instead. You know? Like, because like, that's how, like, that is how... I, don't, I, I hate using words like great art or good art or anything like that. But, like, to me, that's how new art gets made. Um, because, like, yeah. if you're just a bunch of writers hanging around, then you're just going to write what each of you likes. You know, it's not going to spark something new necessarily mm-hmm. or, or it'll be harder to. Whereas if you, like, make new connections and you, and you bridge out, it's going to, um, yeah, just like you say, just create surprising connections of, of like, oh, I saw a painter do this, so I'm going to try writing that, you know? It's, it's things like, you know, it's the beats, you know? It's the beats trying to write jazz, you know, right? Like, it's yeah. that kind of stuff, you know? And that's how art morphs, in my opinion, is by synthesizing stuff, not by just re- repeating stuff that, you know, you think works, right? Um, yeah. I love it when artists move to a different medium, just, like, for kicks. Yes, <laughs> yes! One of my favorite movies is Sorry to Bother You, which is by Boots Riley, who's like a hip hop artist. <laughs> yes, okay. I was going to say, I and feel it, like I've heard about this. I don't know if I've ever watched it, though. Oh, it's so good and weird. <laughs> I, I already, I mean, the title's perfect already. So, so. Yeah, uh, I think you'll like it. <laughs> okay, it's on the list. I'm literally just keeping a running tally of all the things I need to remember after this, you know? But, um, um, you know, we've been floating around these 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 ideas, you know, of connection and friendship and, and community and conflict revolution. And I feel like we've got more to, to, to get to, but I think we've been setting the foundations of this, of, you know, the, the theories behind this show. And I'm, you know, I think I want to take a moment of just like uh, uh, appreciation of like, of just like your, your, your perspective on this stuff. I really value like mm-hmm. your take on this. So I, I you know you know um thank you for coming on uh, <laughs> and sharing yes, but uh but then, but then, but then but you're very welcome but then but then back into it you know let's 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 <laughs> refocus you know <laughs> um you know the other side of the question of friendship is this idea of community and this is sort of the new theory i've been working with with the new season is mm-hmm. like 
if a friendship is two people in connection, then maybe a community is multiple people in connection. But like, what does that even mean? Like, what does it mean to, you know, we use words in, you know, in the queer community, like showing up or, you know, should be showing up in community or things like that. And, and I'm, and I'm, it's another one like friendship where it's this nebulous term that could mean exactly what it means, or it could mean anything you want it to be. And I'm really curious for you in your experience, what does community mean? And, and what does it mean to you to show up in community? Yeah. Um, you put the nail on the head. Community is one of those <laughs> terms that I kind of like grimace at a little Big bit. Time. Yeah. <laughs> and my experience, I mean, I don't think I'm going to say anything new. My experience in like a leftist queer community is You know, it feels like we're we're a group of people that ha that are traumatized by exclusion, and so we have all of these wounds around inclusion and being good enough. And it's just really easy to like not be good enough to be welcomed in the queer community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and I think probably at least part of that is also just the dynamics of like privilege and assimilation and the idea mm -hmm. that like you know like two trans people like can't pass together so if you're trans and you want to go out maybe you go alone or you go with cis people so that nobody notices you're trans yeah yeah um and this is kind of similar to what i said before of moving to vernon the idea of community has totally shifted and it's become like do I know do I recognize other queer people on the street and do they know my name mm. and can I make sure that they're safe in public yeah it becomes so much more immediate in those kinds of environments, yeah. right? And it's and it's so yeah. much less theoretical. Um, th I think that's something that's that's kind of where my brain is kind of going y y when you talked about you know like the sort of like the the the, the it's not trauma bonding of the queer community of Vancouver, but it's like there's so much trauma within the bond, you know, and mm. and there's something sometimes almost insidious in my experience at times with with the. I think this is where some of my thoughts about unpacking the concept of community is coming from is that like uh, sometimes it feels like there's a veneer of community but then there's this underlying there's still hierarchies and there's still sort of like you know the word that's coming to mind is like Machiavellian stuff but it's like it's not like you know <laughs> right but it's not that you know but it's like there's there's like uh, there's there, there can be a lot of like infighting and there can be a lot of like very insidious like almost back channeling or something you know and 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 you know with obviously not like trying to like name names or anything like that but it's like it's this idea of like do you find that that's just like human nature or do you find that that's like from sort of like you know hurt people hurt people <laughs> you know of like the the the, the tr trauma you know this is what we are used to so we're just re repeating these cycles yeah i think the hurt people hurt people thing is it at least like always a little bit present 
yeah. across every community I've ever been part of that has gathered around like a marginalized identity. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, <laughs> I'm just one of those people who like drags Vancouver so hard. <laughs> hey, hey man, With, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not interesting in this, but <laughs> I'll still talk about it. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, my experience with Vancouver is that it is a city of scarcity. There's not enough housing or, I mean, yeah, there's not enough housing. There's not enough jobs. People can't afford to live there. Mm. So like, it's just so competitive. Mm-hmm. It is a competitive place. Nobody wants to like help you out because that, you know, it's, it's like a, what is it? A zero sum game. Yeah. Like yeah. my, my gain is someone else's loss. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which is not conducive to community. Of mm-hmm. course, it's conducive to capitalism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But it's also like yeah. not that's not how art works. You know, like me making yeah. art doesn't mean you can't make art. It's what I never understood about that. You know, is that it's like, no, you, yeah. we just both get to make art. <laughs> like, just Yeah. But <laughs> I like never I almost didn't succeed at ever like getting a spot on the stage, mm. you know, because so many people are asking for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I felt like my art career totally plummeted. In the mm. time that I lived in Vancouver. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. I, I I can't help but wonder if that's a part of why I feel like I'm floundering a bit. <laughs> you know, because it's like I I you know, it, even though I want like, you know, as I'm saying, like, you know, writers that hang with writers, it's that it's like I, I feel like I don't hang out with artists in general. Like I don't know where where the fuck are the artists, you know? Like where the, where are any artists of any kind, you know? Um uh, I, I know a lot of teachers. Yeah, I know a lot of therapists, but like I don't know like artists, you know, even if they have a day job, yeah. which I, you know, like that's fine. But like, I just, mm-hmm. where, where, where are you? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I felt the same way. And then I also just felt like a loser because I can see from the internet <laughs> that artists in Vancouver exist, but yes. I don't know how to meet them. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh my God. That's the other side of it, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, there was a, you know, there was something you said before we, before we got talking or before we got recording, there was something you brought up about the idea of like conflict resolution in, in the community and stuff like that. And I was wondering if you would, uh, elaborate on that. I wanted to kind of cue that up and see, see what, what you wanted to talk about, about that. I realize that's kind of a bit of a left field, but I think it builds off of what we're talking about. Yeah, I think it does too. And I'm just like, how how big how much are we going to open the pot <laughs> but it's something i've been thinking about in the context of these really big political stance moments mm-hmm. that we're in so i'll label like covid as mm-hmm. the first one mm-hmm. and now the war in israel palestine mm-hmm. is a huge moment um and in both of these cases in my own life i've seen people that i'm close to you know reveal that they have different opinions than i do on the topic 
and reveal that they have different opinions than are like the formal stance of the queer leftist community. Sure, yeah. And I've watched these people who are close to me like become very easily, um, I don't know what the right word to use is. Like effectively you could just say like kicked out of communities. But like, you know, it looks like having a bunch of arguments on the internet and then people like deciding that they don't want to interact with you anymore, Yeah, which is everyone's own prerogative. Um, I don't know. I'm not telling anyone who to be friends with. Sure. But for me, like, that's not something I want to lose a friend over. I feel really hesitant saying this because I'm saying it in such a simplified way. Sure. And I don't want to suggest the idea that I like think my politics are irrelevant or something. Sure. Like they're yeah. very important to me and I spend a lot of time in them. Um but I also just feel very willing to have conversations with my friends that continue to be rooted in like care and curiosity. <laughs> yeah. 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 And you know, asking people why they have the experiences that or why they have the opinions that they have and like how it's impacting their life now. Mm-hmm. I have a friend who um yeah, you know, was like a new age to anti-vaxer like pipeline sure we're still very close it's okay but like while when we were all in the heat of that her social media had started like actively censoring her Mm. like her phone would freeze and wouldn't let her type if she started typing about covid holy shit which is crazy fucked up (laughs) and like a level of surveillance that we all, including we the left, need to be concerned with. But because her opinions on, like, vaccinations had caused people to write her off, like, nobody believed her mm-hmm. that this was happening. And I was, like, watching it on her phone, and she was like, nobody believed me. Yeah, yeah. And that is a huge failure to yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, I agree, I agree. Yeah, you know, I'm, you know obviously like without you know naming names but i know that there's somebody who who we both know who's been very active on social media who i i've reached out to many times with uh, with support because i i i agree with what they post i agree with uh with the with the 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 position they take you know and 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 i see the amount of vitriol that gets thrown at them by friends and Mm -hmm. it really that really uh bothers me you know because like it it's not where you know Again, you know, you know, I know you. I, I hear what you're saying about like being hesitant around simplifying, and 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 also like I know my perspective is rooted in so many layers of you know privilege, and you know I know that there's so much. So when I make some kind of declarative statement, I know that it's not the truth. It's just what I experience, you know. And um, but like in in my life, I've found that politics are important, but they can't ever supersede your humanity you know and and you 
I, I think it's very easy for people to feel like they're maintaining their humanity by posting it online, but then they're actually really giving up on it by how they behave, you know, mm-hmm. to the people who are mm-hmm. actually in their lives, you know, like, like you can feel empathy for multiple things, you know, I, I'm, you know, speaking of different therapy processes, I've been doing a, a dialectic behavioral therapy uh, yeah. uh, program the last couple of weeks and it's changing my fucking life. You know, it's, cha- it's like rewiring my brain and, and just that thought that like, there can be multiple things that are true at once and they don't have to overpower each other. And, and, and I think that a lot of people hear, you know, well, you said this is true, so that must mean you think this isn't true. And it's like, no, 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 they, they, they can both be true. <laughs> right. And, and I think, yeah. I think um, that becomes very, you know, that becomes just as abusive. It becomes just as toxic. It becomes just as exclusionary or, or, there's such a there's just as much potential for violence you know um 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 and i think you know for myself i am a like i'm a student of history i'm a big big history nerd and so like i don't personally believe in the violent overthrow of anything because if 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 you look at history that has never worked once for the little guy ever you know there's never been a revolution that's worked out for the for the people you know like there's there's pockets where you get forward movement, but it, in the long run, it always ends up being worse for them. And so, like, I don't believe that fighting, like, defense is one thing, right? Like you said, you know, like, if it's, if it's, if there's violence being done or if there's, you know, whatever, like, that's one thing. But, like, to just, like, outright go looking for violence, you're already choosing to lose, you know? Like, you've kind of already lost. And, and, and I think it's really easy to lose sight of that when you're just being bombarded with these, with these posts, these memes and these facts and these charts and, you know, and, and it's like, well, who's giving you this data? Who's, what, what's their agenda behind this? You know, and it's scary, you know, it's like, it's kind of, it's sinister. Yeah. I really miss having groups of friends where we would like come together and really talk about and try to analyze what's going on and not just do it in the vacuum of the internet. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find you have access, like, is there a way for you to do that? I recognize this is still on the internet, but, like, do you find yourself mm. trying to, like, coordinate any kind of, like, um, group calls or anything like that? Or is, is it more siloed, just, like, one-on-one stuff? Yeah. I have an anarchist book club that yeah. makes a lot of these meets for me <laughs> okay fuck yeah um yeah. the cutest but title i've ever heard an anal- a- anarchist book club i love it <laughs> <laughs> yeah our emoji in our group chat is a watermelon piece because our condos are juicy <laughs> <laughs> perfect perfect i love it i love yeah. it um <laughs> But yeah, but sorry, please go. Ahead. But you were saying so. So the anarchist book club is is do it apart. But like, do you find yourself like mm-hmm. do you do you are you someone who's more of like an arranger or do you like hope other people were will arrange this kind of thing? Uh, I'm just I've always been an arranger, and I just want to be in my bottom era, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, super fair. Yeah, it doesn't feel that available. Yeah, I'm trying yeah. to do both now. I'll do a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> good, yeah. like a good switch, you know. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, my question for <laughs> my question for you <laughs> is, what do you think is funny these days? <laughs> <laughs> and like in, and and re, like i'm looking for like recommendations on things i can also enjoy but yeah however <laughs> yeah okay no i love it that's the thing you know it's like it's like the question of like who are you it's like such a it could be such a philosophical question or it could just be like hey i'm bob you know um yeah so so my brain goes in two different directions one is that um uh i just started watching our flag means death and yeah i'm i'm like i'm i cannot wait to just binge it this weekend like i watched the pilot and i was like what have i been sleeping on like i just i had a moment of like how dare i not watch this yet you know (laughs) and so so if you haven't watched that but you i from from your reaction i hear you've already watched it so yeah (laughs) So, so, um, that's, that, that was my go-to. I, I, I literally, I do like a triannual office rewatch. I'm just like, it, I just pretend like the, Dang. I pretend like the fucking pandemic never ended, you know? And I just watch that all the time. It's my safety show. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, American or British? American. The British one is too mean okay. to me, too mean for me. I can't, mm. I can't handle the, they're so fucking mean to each other and I just can't take yeah. it. It's too much for me. Um, yeah. At least only Jim is mean in the in the American one, and like, who gives a fuck about Jim? You know, so like, he's the worst <laughs> character. It doesn't even matter. You know. <laughs> the Office is the only Michael Schur show that I haven't watched front to back. Mm. And when I try to watch it now, I don't find that it's aged in like the best ways. But so, like, sometimes I'll have a good episode, and sometimes I'm like, no. Oh yeah, no. There's some there's some awful shit in it, um, and it's just like yeah. Every year it get it does get worse, but it's like it's such a it's just such a safety show for me. It's like hanging out yeah. with old friends. You know what I mean? It it, yeah. it feels like yeah. I'm like, oh, why don't I just like pretend to be back in the closet again and just like go hang out with all my straight friends? You know, <laughs> it's very yeah. Know, but um, but then in terms of like sort of like existential what I'm finding funny, I, I am really leaning into I'm continuing the trend of this first dates with pro wrestler stuff. And I'm just like, really, you've probably you've probably seen a bunch of it on my Instagram of just like I'm really vibing with just like deeply sad and tender and vulnerable memes that are also like really absurd and funny. Like, I just I don't know. It's it's that's my vibe right now is just like I'm really sad all the time and I'm like not well. And it would be awesome if people would like take these memes as bids of like check up on me. But at the same time, too, I am just going to like give them as like little little laughs as well. You know, like so. um, Yeah, that's my vibe is like, I'm not okay, but I'm okay. You know? (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. I actually I I shut off my Instagram about a month ago. Mm. I've missed. I've missed your bids, unfortunately, but you know that's why you didn't reply to my message today when I was like, "Hey, we're we still good." Oh to fuck! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's why. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was like, I guess we'll find out, you know, right? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> no, I think it's fine. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. It's just like yeah, it was just good for you though. Like good for you for doing that. Uh, has that felt? Uh, has that felt like liberating or like? Yeah, I mean, I've shut off my Instagram at various points in my life, um, but I just knew that 
all of the war coverage was gonna piss me off so much. Yeah. That yeah. I didn't want like the social media takes. Yeah. That's smart. I remember like when 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 Elon Musk bought Twitter, I deleted that was the day I deleted my account and I I was shocked at like the instant relief I felt the next day of like, oh, I'm not just being bombarded with a million opinions that I hate like all day, you know, <laughs> like, like I just feel free, you know, but, but, but now I'm on threads. So who the, f who the f you know, there's no winning, but um, um, yeah, before I, before I ask a little wrap up, is there anything that I kind of missed anything you wanted to talk about? Um, anything about like, friendships or connections or all those things I, I i know like i feel like we could probably talk for hours more i feel i i almost like before the episode's even out i'm like we probably need to have you on again because we could keep talking about other stuff but um but uh but yeah is there anything i missed that you wanted to, to <laughs> talk about yeah i would love to come back as also while we were talking i was like oh we should probably just set aside some of these for another time literally literally um but now, like, this is now the longest you and I have ever spoken. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And now I'm like, oh, James, you're great. I just want to hang out. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank like, you. it's so nice to get to know you. And you look so yeah. cute. This is a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> That's so kind of you. Thank you. I, you know, I've never, you know, <sighs> that means a lot to me, to be completely honest. Um, um, like, without going into, I, I, honestly, I'll probably cut this next part out, but I'll, since we're recording it, I don't <laughs> want to stop. I'll just say it here. But, like, you know, with Sarah and I breaking up, like, um, like I lost touch with the, the whole, that whole queer group, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, I... I didn't get the impression that I was super liked in the group. And so that bummed me out, you know, and, and I've tried to just like show up nicely because I, I know I'm a nice person, you know, and, um, but I, it still like troubles me. Right. And it still makes me feel sad that I like, I really adored that group. And yeah, we only hung out the one time, but I was like, jazz fucking rules. And like Cody, fucking rules you know like getting to hang out with them i was just like i adore you you know and so like i was really sad when you took them away you know but uh, <laughs> but, uh but but yeah thank you for saying that because it really does mean a lot to me and it's like you know yeah if you're if you're ever in vancouver you know but uh but um we could I mean, if you really wanted to risk it, we could try being internet friends, you know. Um, you, you can always message me or text me or whatever, right? But, uh, but you know, yeah. um, I guess that is kind of one of the ideas behind the show is, is I could be trying to make new friends as well, but, but we don't, no pressure, yeah. you know. <laughs> well, instead of unfriending on Facebook, because we've never been friends on Facebook, yeah. we can trade phone numbers. <laughs> There it is. There it is. Right. We'll go the opposite way. I'll become friend. Yeah. Friend. Friend. I was about to be like, we'll be friendless, but it's like, no, the opposite of friendless is just having friends. That's just. Yeah. I didn't have to make a fucking. You know. Anyway. Um. So I just have the one last question. Um. I always love to kind of leave the show, the listeners, on kind of an actionable step for the week. Um. Mm. So I'm wondering, is there one thing you could recommend, um, <laughs> listeners to try doing this week to be a better friend, like either to themselves or to their community? Mm. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> 
challenge the listeners to share their inner world with one of their friends. And the way that I do this is very, um, it's very structured and it's like, the way that I like to share my inner world with my friends is very structural and it's like, this is a thing that happened and having these emotions, will you do this thing for me? Mm. <laughs> and it always works, man. <laughs> that is like you've you've I feel like I just got a new wrinkle in my brain because that feels like <laughs> such like, that feels like such a beautiful distillation of a kind of communication I struggle with. So like I'm like thank you for vocalizing that for for, for me, let yeah. alone for other people, you know. Okay, let's I'm going to do it right now. Okay. James? Yes. You've hosted me on this show for an hour and it's the most we've ever hung out. And I feel really, like, warm and satisfied and happy about it. And now I request that we exchange phone numbers. <laughs> I, I, like, you have just made me feel so bubbly. And I just thank you so much. Like, 100%. You got it. No question. I'm yeah! not going to share. I'm like. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to share it on, on air, you know, like we'll stop yeah, recording yeah. when we do that. <laughs> but after we hit recording, right, you know, yes, you got yourself a goddamn deal, Jazz. Um, um, thank you so much. This has been just so fucking wonderful. Like, I, I you know, I, I uh, like right from when you like asked to be on, you know, I put out the call and you were one of the first people to answer. And it just like it meant the fucking world to me because like, you know, as we've said, we only met the ones, but I was like, you're just so fucking cool. The writing, that that piece you had about Bruce Springsteen, I was just like, thank you for someone saying it, you know? <laughs> 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 um, and I just, I just, yeah, you had a massive impact in a very small amount of time. And so I was so excited to, to yeah, to do exactly this. Just chat with you, get to know you a little bit better. And, um, and um, yeah, this has just been incredible. I, I adore you i just think you're i just think the absolute world of you so thank you for doing this with me um um is there is there anywhere that you would like listeners to find you any any you you mentioned you've got a book coming out do you want people to can yeah. we pre-order what what do we do about this oh my god yeah i mean i not even for pre-order yet but okay my book is my book is called i feel that way too hmm. and it's a verse novel which is just a book of poetry that has a story, I guess. Um, um, like the, uh, oh my God, like, um, was it by Grand Central Station? I sat down and wept. Have you ever read that? Oh, no. It's, uh, it was Canadian. Sorry, <laughs> I did, I cut you off. I just got okay. excited. I got, I got ADHD <laughs> excited. It's like one of my favorite, it's like a, it's like a poem. It's a, it's a, it's like a, a, a novel in verse and it's fucking devastating but uh I'll, yeah. yeah i mean verse novels i feel like have a unique capacity for devastation yes <laughs> <laughs> um it's coming out fall 2024 with nightwood edition 
Fabulous. Which is where all the cool Vancouver queer poets are published. So thank I, you, Nightwood. <laughs> I was going to say, I, uh, I think I'm going to have to look at some links about that. <laughs> yeah. And um, as we've established, I'm like off social media right now, but right. my creative website is textualdealing.com rhymes with sexual dealing baby um, <laughs> and I link like all of my publications on there so you can Fabulous. go read all the things that I've written amazing okay well that's all gonna be in the in the show notes one more time Jazz Papadopoulos you are unreal thank you so much for coming on <laughs> i just uh i hope you have yourself just the best fucking night and uh i hope to hear from you soon thanks jay <laughs> and that's it thank you one more time to jazz for coming on the show i cannot find the right words to express just how like joyful and 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 bubbly i have felt since this interview um in editing it to prepare for release um i was like bursting into tears just um remembering that feeling and um i just remain so deeply grateful for them coming on the show and just them being them you know um it really uh i i find it very comforting to know that there are people like jazz in this world and um yeah that that just there is uh there's a lot of love in this world you just sometimes have to go looking for it a little bit harder if you like this episode please be sure to give it a five-star review wherever you listened it is free for you and it helps me out so much in gaining new listeners why not share the link with someone you think might like the episode and if you can't get enough friendless content please be sure to sign up for the weekly Substack. i've done um a little bit of a remodel of it so it's a little bit leaner a little bit quicker read it's always going to be free um you're going to get a playlist for the month you're going to get a little update essay and then you will get a couple recommendations to check out for that week the other big announcement i have is that i have started a ridiculous stunt art project called hey sorry i missed you which is a year-long novel inverse inspired by my conversation with jazz um the idea is basically i'm telling the story of this narrator who's kind of having an existential crisis and is um contacting people from his past and leaving them voicemails as he sort of explores their connection there's a brand new micro chapter being posted every single day on Instagram. It's going to be running the entire year. Please check it out. All the links to all those things are in the show notes. So check it out. Holy crap. I have run out of music. So that is it for me. I'm going to wrap this up here. Thank you so much for listening. I love you so much. And I hope to catch you back here soon. But I'm not going to worry about that right now. And neither should you. Because that is then. And this is now. So for now, I will just... Say I love you with no back music, and I wish you well. Fun and safety, sweeties.